0: One, two, three, four.
1: In terms of fast fashion, though, it's hard to kind of re-educate people on why products cost as much as they do, or just like see the value in investing in certain things. Because Mm -hmm. H&M and Zara has have trained us to be able to get everything that we want within like a small budget.
0: Welcome back to the Well Now Wood podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. Today's guests are husband and wife duo, Ben and Mackenzie, and they are co-founders of the brand Cotton. They also have a third co-founder named Rami. If you're wondering what Cotton is, Cotton is a mainly clothing company brand, and they develop products around the principles of considered design, relentless quality, honest value, and positive impact for their people and their planet. So since launching in 2015, They've funded a number of social impact projects through their sales of their products, including building and operating seven new schools in rural areas of Egypt without access to education. So their mission is absolutely incredible. And I knew really nothing about the clothing industry, especially in regards to sustainability. So I learned a lot. And yeah, in this episode, we talk about how both Ben and Mackenzie met and then met up with Rami and came up with this amazing idea, which is cotton. And then how they first thought of going to farms, which is kind of unheard of when you think of a clothing company. How they balance home life and working together. Why sustainability is so important in their mission and helping farmers and their families. We also chat about the future of fast fashion and where they see it going. And then we end the episode with some fun rapid fire questions. So I asked them some of their favorite items in the line, favorite spots to travel to, what they like, what they don't like about working and some other really great questions. So let's get right into it. I'm here with Mackenzie Yates and Ben Sale. Ben and Mackenzie are a husband and wife who founded Cotton with their co-founder Rami Halali. From fair labor practices to supporting social projects through the sales of their products, Cotton is a certified B Corp creating quality clothing with ethical practices. And I know a lot of my listeners are Canadian so I'm sure you've heard of their incredible brand um, Cotton because they are a Canadian company. And what I love so much about Cotton is that it's a fashion brand that's in the business of making essentials that won't break your bank or sacrifice product quality. So thank you both for coming on. I know that you're Both expecting a child, which is so exciting. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to chat with me. Thanks for having us. Thank you, of course. So uh, before we get into you know the making of your company Cotton, um, I know you guys all had your separate jobs in New York, but I'm curious to know how you two met. Was it through building your business, or did you guys meet beforehand?
2: Yeah, we met beforehand. So Rami, our partner, had just moved down to New York, and so I was going down to visit him, and that weekend or week I guess he had already or he had reached out to Mackenzie because her LinkedIn status said that she had moved to New York and so he he ended up DMing her and saying oh hey I'm also just moved here and then she's like oh I'm having a I'm gonna have this like party this weekend a housewarming party so why don't you guys come by and then so I went with him to this party and then that's where uh, I met Mackenzie and and they had already known each other and then yeah and then uh pretty soon after that we started dating and then uh about Nine months later, I moved to New York, and then like a year after that, we uh, got engaged and and um, married, and then started cotton, and then got married. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of timeline.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, as I mentioned earlier, I was in the business program at Uvic, and our, my professors repeatedly told us don't it's not the best idea to get into business with friends or family or partners <laughs> or whatever. But most of the companies like I know that are successful in the one that I'm at currently, you know, we were all friends beforehand, so. Did you guys have any doubts getting into business together or did you guys have a good understanding of each other's communication styles and maybe like work habits?
1: I don't think we really had doubts up front, but it definitely took a while for us to figure out our rhythm of working together and like the best way to communicate with each other and... Balance life and work, but yeah, everyone thought we were crazy for getting into yeah. business. Together. I mean, there's,
2: yeah, there's definitely a survivorship bias thing if you look at just all the the successful people who who are who are together. I think there's probably a, a lot more people that uh, have have broken up that were started coming because they are friends. But uh, but yeah, I mean, everybody told us it was a bad idea, but to start something together. But I don't know. I think every entrepreneur that ends up launching everybody has doubt, but then everybody has enough of the sort of, ah, they don't understand. We can do it anyway. (laughs) Sort of thing. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think ultimately like that built in level of trust between the three of us is something that has kept us going, uh, Mm -hmm. through the hard times and also allows us to have tough conversations, really like give intense feedback to each other and, has helped us all to grow, I think, a lot over the last six years. So that's kind of the positive side yeah. of it for sure.
2: Trust, I think, has been that's such a key word. That's so key in business is like just letting other people do things and stepping away from entirely. I think that's where we were able to really excel because the three of us each took three different sides of the business. And so and then really trusted the other person, like get their side done. And that allows you to just tackle so much more ground. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that actually is pretty key.
0: Yeah. That's great. So how did you guys balance and still today balance work-life versus home life? Like how do you not bring work at home? Cause especially at the beginning, I imagine you guys were really grinding really
2: hard and it was like the majority of your life. So how do you balance Well that now, that? and now we work at home. So, yeah. um, <laughs>
0: yeah. so
2: that's, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I think, you just try and, <laughs> and, yeah. and and fail a little bit. Something we've been like conscious of, I think for a long time and always try to, but then also like not beat yourself up. Like if you work a lot, then like don't beat yourself up too much about that. And if you don't, then also don't about that, you know, and just give yourself mm-hmm. a little grace, I think has been, is kind of the most important thing to just not, to, to building a sustainable long-term, you know, relationship and, and company and all that. And so, because there's times where you do have to work all the time. Like there's just, there's periods where we had to go like crazy and there's still periods today where we have to go like crazy. And there's periods where it's really chill and like, you should totally enjoy that while you can, you know? And so certain things, entrepreneurship's a lot of us to do from travel perspective and things like that have been really awesome that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. So,
1: yeah, I think it, I don't know if I really believe people that say that they can like leave work at the door and they have to like <laughs> really have create separation between work and life because part of the reason that we got into it in the first place together was because we love to talk about business ideas and we we got excited about having those conversations so we actually like talking about it a lot of the time I think just having boundaries and having open communication about hey I'm not in a headspace to really like jam with you on this right now or I need to not talk about work for the rest of the night and also like creating space to have date nights and things like that, where we can kind of like set intention that the purpose of a dinner is to look each other in the eyes and not <laughs> talk about work Yeah, helps. But at the end of the day, there definitely isn't like clear lines. Of
2: yeah. That's, I think that's actually so true. It's not about the, indiv- it's not about like you, it's about your relationship with the other people that you're, you're with, even if they're not running business with you and knowing mm-hmm. Like, where's that person at? If you're both really into talking about work and it's midnight, like, cool, maybe something good's going to happen. But if one person's not and the other person is, you know, that's usually where some of the problems come up and and people get just totally stressed out. So just being open about that, I agree. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think you have to set boundaries regardless as an entrepreneur about like talking about your business. And one of our big learnings throughout the years is like how much we share with our families too about all the things that are going on, and like things that are stressing us out and stuff, because they're often trying to solve it for us, or like they get more stressed out about it than we even are. So, yeah. it's not just about working with your partner, but also figuring out like when is the best time to talk about your business with your friends and family and people close to mm-hmm. you too. So,
0: so what about the you know the orange origin story of building the company? I know that your um, your co-founder has origins in in egypt and then you guys ended up going um spending some time at an egyptian cotton farm so i'm just wondering mm. what was your expectations like the day one landing there and then like what were you guys thinking because obviously you guys didn't have that much experience yeah. um,
2: well including. it didn't really start with it it didn't even really start with egyptian cotton and that and mm-hmm. i think like origin story is so funny because there's like three different like the three of us each brought a very different thing to the origin story like mine mm. was probably the shallowest of the three my, which was, it was a hot summer, in New York. I was wearing a lot of white t-shirts. Some were really cheap and and not good and some were really expensive and I couldn't afford to wear them all the time because then I'd get pit stains in them and then I'd have to throw them out and, you know, so pretty shallow, but it was like a product problem. And then Mackenzie also had a similar problem from when she worked at, uh, Holt Renfrew, she was in brand strategy. And back at the time when she was doing it, she was launching a thing called H project, which is their like ethical section within Holt Renfrew. And part of the thing that she noticed at the time was that there wasn't that much, there wasn't a huge range in aesthetic, uh, within ethical fashion specifically. And so there's like having to have your ethics define your aesthetics is, you know, another pretty big, big problem. And then the, and then the third thing was, okay. So then we, after that, we started saying, well, we should start our own thing together and then when we talked to told Rami about it he just happened to be in Egypt at the time for a family wedding and that same week there was like a this uh, which I I told about this product way too much for for it but um Kanye West had come up with a t-shirt with APC that was made from Egyptian cotton it was 120 US dollars and so it was like okay that's too expensive for a plain white t-shirt This is exactly what I'm talking about and when we told Rami he he just kind of like he gets very like excited about things. And so we sort of told him about this thing. He's like, Oh, I'm in, like, let's go. And then, and then just wanted to make it happen right away. And when he talked to his mom, uh, he was telling his mom about it. And she said, Oh, you know, like your grandpa grew up in a community where they farm Egyptian cotton. And so that sort of started the whole thing. And then, so he started to pull on that thread and, and, you know, then down the rabbit hole you go.
1: We started this, the sort of journey of building the supply chain and, exploring Egypt like I guess at the end of 2014 and then in 20 in like February of 2015 you went to Egypt for a couple weeks a month yeah or a month and then I didn't end up going for like a year or something after that Mm -hmm. so I think we've all had our own discovery journeys in Egypt and It has inspired me so much in the process of building the brand because also seeing it as an outsider, I think you get this like hyper saturated view on the culture and like all these things that really stand out that maybe people that live there don't notice. So it's had a huge impact on both of us. And it's been really cool to like kind of have Egypt as an adopted Mm -hmm. second home or something that feels really close to our hearts too.
2: Unfortunate not being able to go there with COVID, but prior to that, Mackenzie was there like half the year almost. Um, So it was, yeah, pretty crazy.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. And I know that your company partnered, um, you know, often with a local NGO NGO to provide a safe and convenient quality education to the farmer's children there. Um, And I know that you focused mostly to get, you know, young girls to experience equal education. And why was that so important for you guys?
1: Again, that was something that emerged from the process of just getting to know the farmers. So we didn't really set out to say like, we're building this education first company. We we set out to build a company that would last and creating processes and helping to support the industry that we were investing in was part of that lasting foundation. And in getting to know the people there, we started to uncover that, Access to education was one of the biggest problems and one of the main asks that the farmers had in terms Mm of what was a challenge for them. That just grew organically from having conversations, seeing kids like running around the village in the middle of the day like, why aren't these kids at school? Also, in then exploring NGOs to partner with and uncovering more of like the issues across these rural regions in Egypt. Girls have a much lower chance of getting an education because they're not prioritized um, in terms of the need for them to be educated. And that also leads to early marriage and other problems. So the NGO that we work with is really focused on this. They actually won the UNESCO prize in, I think, 2019 for women's education so that was something that we felt was really important um mm-hmm. and and that's why we set this 2 to 1 ratio so that's been a really rewarding thing and i think like one of the spillover effects of that is i don't know if you watched the um david attenborough documentary on netflix but mm-hmm. at the end of that documentary he speaks to some of his pointers on how to get a more sustainable future and Poverty alleviation and population control are really key to protecting our earth too. And educating women has a big impact on population control. So I think that's also an interesting side effect that a lot of people don't consider, but is important for the
0: future of our world. Hi, it's me. I just want to say that if you like this episode, please follow me on Instagram and let me know what you thought at WellNow at Podcast. And if you want to stay up to date with all my episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever listening platform you listen to. I'm back to the episode. That's yeah, that's incredible. I definitely I haven't seen the documentary, but I definitely should. Um yes. and yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I'm wondering about you know about brand transparency. So most people when they want to start a fashion brand, they don't think of You know going to farms to make clothing um and a lot of brands right now are wanting to be transparent but they're talking more about maybe like the final stage so um the cut and like sewing factory but there's so many more stages before that and um, a lot of companies don't have visibility with that but i know cotton does and you know, fast fashion is starting to become more and more popular, but there are still still brands like cotton like coming about. But I'm just curious to know your perspective. Do you think there's there's going to be more fast fashion in the future? Are brands going to start to be actually transparent, or just kind of talking more about like that
2: final stage? What we're talking about in supply chains is called traceability, and there's like five. There's they usually talk about it in terms of five tiers of traceability, and so most companies only have like traceability of their products into the, into the manufacturer. So they'll maybe work with different sourcing agents or whatever, and, and find these different people that are able to do the stuff. And then those people source materials from various places or, or, and often even subcontract their work in order to hit the the production. So, um, so as a result, trying to trace it back all the way to where did the fabric actually come from, um, is very, very difficult to do. And it was something that was very, very difficult to do, especially in the days when there was no internet. And so that was one of the things that we kind of saw as an opportunity was, hey, okay, we see all these ethical problems with how fashions run today, but a lot of the big guys were set up like in, in you know, the 1900s. Um, there just wasn't really a great infrastructure to allow for communication like that. So So that was one thing. Another thing was like, we didn't know all like we weren't in this business before so we didn't really know all the best ways of doing it or like the most efficient ways of doing it Um, but we also wanted to understand it from the ground up too so that was like part of just okay you know we found out we had a connection to Egyptian cotton like let's go find out about this material and like see what actually would go into making this thing or is it all just marketing and hype so we've we and then over time we just recognize the ability like the importance of traceability and and we think that that's going to be a a trend in the future, or at least we hope. Um, and so, so we want to make an outsized investment in that now. And so that's definitely what what we've started to do. And that's where we've seen a lot of, a lot of focus. I just think it's important that you know where your stuff comes from. Um, if you, if you say that you care about the impact of it, it and you don't actually know the impact, then you can't really, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so that's kind of where, where we, where we stood is like, you have to look behind the curtain. Yeah. For most, it's really hard to do. I think in terms of where, where the trends are going, I don't think fast fashion is like picking up more and more. I think people are, there's a, there's a growing amount of people that are starting to recognize the value of, you know, better made lasting products, um, and, and why you would pay more for a product, uh, for it to be made ethically and sustainably. And so I, I think there's a growing trend there. There's definitely a ton of money existing behind fast fashion and and it's mm-hmm. a crazy business, but I think, I think the trend is moving the other
1: yeah, we're, at, we're in the process of doing some customer interviews right now. And even just in doing those, it sounds like a lot of people over the last year, like during the pandemic, started to rethink how they build their wardrobes. I mean, I'm sure all of us are wearing a lot less of them the,
0: yes. the <laughs> items
1: in our closet. Um, and it's fine. You know, we make do with it and starting to think about like what our impact is across the board when we're buying those things seems to have come top of mind for a lot of people. So that's, that's promising. I think in terms of fast fashion though, it's hard to kind of re-educate people on why, why products cost as much as they do or just like see the value in investing in certain things because as mm-hmm. H&M and Zara has, have trained us to, be able to get everything that we want within like a small budget. And before that, things were actually much more expensive. So it's interesting that, you know, the volume of products that we all own in our closet has increased so much over the past like 20 years, Mm -hmm. but the amount of money we spend on those products has actually probably gone down. Yeah. I think it's just like a re-education process around, Mm -hmm. people like customer expectations
0: yeah and I I think I heard you say in another interview that fast fashion like they test for five to seven wears for for each garment so like that's disposable clothing um and I know cotton it's it's like the main mission is for it to become an integral item um your wardrobe so how does like the testing process work when you build like a new a new garment how does that work Mm
1: -hmm. yeah um well I think the place where we start is with the at the fiber level and that's been part of our sort of origin story since the beginning is this focus on Egyptian cotton as a premium fiber so we really believe in natural materials and the longevity of those materials um tried and tested like throughout generations this is what all clothes were made out of natural materials like not that long ago I guess like prior to the 60s And then with polyester and things like that, like materials break down much faster. Um, It also has environmental impacts in terms of like fibers that go into our water stream and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we start the process. And then to Ben's point, just talking to the factory about like what our thresholds are to have different having different types of wash tests. Um, even making decisions around like the types of seams that we use and things like that. Like we, the inside of our duvet covers have like French seams, which like doubles the whole, the manufacturing cost of the product, but it also allows for more durability for a product that you wash quite a lot. So just making all those small decisions
2: throughout. And then there's things that we do, like we do DNA testing or I don't know if that's what it's called, but like of the fibers to like find it, make validate that the origins that we get in the end, cause you can't just kind of like, all right, we have it all set up and then we hope it works. Then there's like checking that happens mm-hmm. after that. So there's that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And then there's of course holding us accountable with things like the B Corp audits and, and doing that. Um, and then we, and then we also test the whole supply chain by having third parties go into, to audit our supply chain and, and, um, Mm-hmm. And like, look for you know, just have have a sort of a third critical eye to look for for vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and and things where we could improve um, in terms of safety, sustainability, and and, and ethics. So mm-hmm.
1: there's a lot of things we've learned along the way too, because we didn't come from a manufacturing background. We had to learn what to ask for, and sometimes suppliers or factories will tell you like, "Oh, that's not possible," or "Oh, we don't do that mm-hmm. thing," because it, they don't want to. <laughs> want the hassle of having to do it especially Mm -hmm. when you're a super small company it's hard to leverage those types of um requests but we've learned a lot throughout the process on what we can ask for and where we can push them to give us more information more tests and things like that and that actually on the fast fashion front like as much as it's not I I do think greenwashing is a thing and I don't think that Mm -hmm. a lot of bigger companies that talk about being sustainable necessarily are. But the flip side of that is that having companies like H and M hold manufacturers accountable to certain certifications and checks and balances and things like that help across the board um, because we don't have the power in some cases to force them to get those certifications. So I would say that's like yeah. a positive of, of some of these bigger companies yeah. moving towards.
2: And it's and it's like, you know, a lot of these companies are starting to do a lot of these more, these things because customers are voting with their dollar like to to make more ethical purchases. And so you do get shifts. And then, um, so Mackenzie was alluding to, for instance, there's this thing called the Better Cotton Initiative, which is like a mm-hmm. a, a, a structure to just make, grow cotton in a better way, use less water, uh, be more environmentally friendly, friendly et cetera. And like H&M was one of the creators of that and are are people that help bring it to a bunch of different places. So it's, it's not like, um, the problem is, is that, you know, there's, even though the team, the sustainability team at H&M is, is bigger than our entire team. Um, and, and what they are able to do is huge. They're also just such a huge operation. So there's just so much stuff to cover, you know? Um, so, I mean, at least they're, they're starting and trying and, and doing some different things and those have really helped us, but that's why I'm more optimistic about the outlook is is to see where a lot of the industry people are shipping things. So Mm
0: -hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, do you guys work with uh, external environmental consultants? So how do you kind of measure your sustainability um, pattern?
1: Mm -hmm. We're actually in the process of like a very lengthy audit at the moment. Um, So we do have an external consultant that is reviewing our entire supply chain talking to everyone, looking at all the certifications and and also at our educational impact and then is coming back to us with some suggestions. So we're kind of at a scale now where we felt like we needed to get that outside um, opinion and really like a specific deep look into all the corners of our business. Obviously, B Corp is also something that like holds you accountable to certain standards but it's, it's less about them. They don't really like advise you on what to do. They just, um, give you a seal of approval on certain initiatives that you're yeah, already They set a
2: great floor, but, but then like, where can you go and what, where can you take it from there is, mm-hmm. is sort of, you still have to figure it out. So, yeah. So, I mean, our strategy was just go find experts in it to, to tell mm-hmm. us what to do. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. And we also have really supportive investors that really prioritize like This part of our business as well so I would say that is also helpful in um, Mm -hmm. being able to invest in some of these things getting connections to the right people and yeah
2: if you don't have yeah if you don't have like stakeholder alignment on sustainability and 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 ethics as a priority and then it's gonna be very difficult to do
0: it's great to hear that you guys are collaborating with you know um, consultants about it. Um, I'm curious to know this past year, how has COVID affected your business Are people buying more of your clothing? A lot of sweatpants, I'm assuming, because mm-hmm. that's all I'm wearing and like leggings. Yeah. Sweat, sweatpants sweat. out. yeah, yeah.
2: Um, yeah lots of sweatpants, hard pants, are <laughs> hard pants are out. Um, soft pants are in. Um, <laughs> and yeah, e-commerce definitely got a, a big boost. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, just the whole industry saw that, and um, you more notice it with like types of people that previously would like my grandma buys from us on our website now. Like she, mm-hmm. she didn't used to do that. So yeah, there's like a lot of a lot of shift there. Obviously, like stores were pretty um, tough, uh, but still went pretty well because there's people who, who live locally that we built up some local communities to to be able to support those in a pretty decent way. But yeah. Um, I think it's been tough. Our team's grown about like half our team joined through COVID. So like okay. half the people on our team, I haven't met in person, um, which is very, very weird to to be thrust into the remote world. Um, and we were very much uh, not remote before, like, you know, it's, it. we had two offices, one in Cairo, one in, in Toronto, um, and the teams are there every day, you know, so, so shifting remote, I think, and moving to all these new different methods of working um, is a whole like grab bag questions and things that we're trying to work through. Most of it's gone pretty well. And thankfully we brought on some great people who like really made it as easy as it could have been. But, um, but it's of course, a, a challenge to just completely change the way that all your systems work. So so, yeah, but mm-hmm. I'd say overall, like, I, you know, very fortunate for the way 2020 panned out, given how, how crazy the world was. That's great. Yeah. I just
0: want to um, end the episode with a little bit more like fire questions, like quick cool. answers. Let's go. Um, what is one thing that you like about your job? And then one thing that you just like, I'm not going to say love and hate because there's like a middle in between. So yeah, go for it. <laughs> I don't know. You go. <laughs> um, I think,
1: One thing I like about my job is getting to be creative, like working in an industry that I've always loved and being able to like combine fashion and the values side of things is a really cool place to be in. Um, And also being our own business, being able to just like throw any idea out there or have any kind of like crazy dream, or vision is really fun. I don't know if it's dislike, but the challenge is with a company, our company's growing pretty quickly and we have really aggressive goals for how, what we want to become. And just like the personal growth that's required alongside that is really challenging to like keep up with everything and constantly trying to figure out like how to rebuild stuff organizational systems within our company provide efficiency provide clarity for everybody's roles like it's not that i dislike it it's just a really big challenge (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's something that you don't necessarily like think about when you start a company is like how much of your time you're going to spend on
0: that
2: yeah i I, mine's i guess kind of similar i don't know but my like and dislike are almost the same thing like my like is how different my days are and how, how much opportunity there is and how flexible things are. So I both love and hate the same thing, I think. And, um, you know, but it's, it's all part of the ride. And my dad is always just talking about this like analogy of the roller coaster. And so I I love Mm -hmm. and hate the roller coaster. It's thrilling, but also terrifying. And so.
0: um, Awesome. Yeah. So
2: what is your uh,
0: favorite travel spot?
2: Favorite travel spot is either, um, uh, Istanbul or Rome
1: yeah I would say Italy too just for mm-hmm. the food and now Egypt is also a favorite uh,
0: what's one thing that you do working from home that you wouldn't do um, at the office uh, wear
2: sweatpants every day <laughs> you gotta go more rapid fire
1: I know sorry. I'm, not, I'm not a rapid fire person well I'm Being like eight months pregnant and working from home, it's kind of nice to be able to Mm
0: -hmm. lie
1: down for like 10 minutes in the middle of the day. So that's something I wouldn't do at work.
0: (laughs) Um, what is a productivity kind of tip or hack that you have that can be like an app
2: that could be, Oh, my, my tip is that multitasking isn't a thing. You can only do one task at a time. (laughs) And so if you think you're multitasking, you're just doing, you're just single tasking inefficiently with several different things. And so just focus on one thing, get it done and then do the next thing and then get that done. Mm
1: -hmm. I, I don't know if it's a productivity tip, but we use an app called fellow for meeting agendas um mm-hmm. and it's helpful to when things come up throughout the week to be able to like jot down notes in your one-on-one templates with people so you remember to talk about those things um but i, I don't know if that's productivity yeah. but i
2: like yeah keeping notes follow. keeping like meeting meeting agendas are
1: key yeah and it's all like accessible in one place so
0: awesome yeah i just have a last question what are you know each of you your favorite two pieces of um cotton
2: from your brand. That's hard. COVID answer would have been hoodie sweatpants. However, uh, I'm actually gonna go ahead and say that I think our um, white Oxford and is it the fatigue trouser? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: The fatigue trouser are my my two favorite things. I was
1: gonna say mine is the lounge bra, which is not out yet, but (laughs) it's launching on March 19th and I've had a sample for like a year and I'm pretty sure I, I have two samples that I just like rotate through the entire, <laughs> yeah. the entire time that we've been in this pandemic. So that one's great. And then-
2: Yeah, cause I was gonna say my art boxing briefs cause, but they're also yeah. out, out soon. So they'll, they'll be out by the time this episode's out.
1: And then I think the fitted turtleneck is my other favorite.
0: Those are great. Well, thank you so much both for your time. It was really great learning more about your story with each other and building the brand. I'm a huge fan of cotton. So Thanks. thank you again for coming on. Hey, Thanks thank you. This us. was really fun. Have a good weekend. And that was Mackenzie and Ben. I highly recommend checking out their Instagram or their website. They've got the coziest sweaters and sweatpants. Perfect for working at home. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on Instagram at well. Now What podcasts, and I'll see you next week.